The world is always on, but you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. This week, we shall be covering the Wars of the Roses. So for those of you who are on our Facebook group and got this one correct, that is what we are covering. Now, we will be covering this in a couple of episodes, and you will be sad to know that if you are interested in listening to the second part of the War of the Roses that will be going on to Patreon Um, so for those of you who are on Patreon and do want to listen to the second part you can for those of you who aren't really that interested or do want to listen you can sign up Uh, I think it's $2 a month is the minimum tier um, and you can pledge as much as you want or as little as you want from that so we'll move on to the concept behind the Wars of the Roses and you'll understand why this was such a traumatic and turmoil time in British history. Now the War of the Roses officially started on the 22nd of May 1455 and that was with the Battle of St Albans which is something that we will lead up to in a bit and it ended on August the 22nd in 18 sorry in 1485 and that was at the Battle of Bosworth Fields. So what we talk about in the Wars of the Roses is the points behind them. So they're 30 years of basically English Civil War. And this is where there are two houses in Britain at this time. The House of Lancaster and the House of York. Now, Lancashire and York are um, counties in the UK now. And they are side by side. However, in this time frame they were families so this is a a lot of you'll find with with um british aristocrats in this time they were named after where they were so the house of york is based in york the house of lancashire was based in lancashire or the house of lancaster so what we do with this one is we'll go from the start and we'll talk about henry the sixth and the reasons why the war of the roses came about now, obviously, for those of you who haven't worked out, 14, uh, 1455 to 1485 is, is 30 years. Now, in 30 years, 
the British throne changed hands seven times. So you can imagine how living in this time period was probably a little bit scary because you didn't know who to support because you could support a king one day and the next day he's not the king. So, you know, you were in a bit of a, a weird situation in England uh, in, in the late 14 or the middle 1400s to the late 1400s. So we'll talk about Henry VI first. And Henry VI is the son or was the son of Henry V. Now, for those of you who have listened to the Agincourt episode, you'll be aware of Henry V. Now, Henry V was possibly one of the greatest kings Britain has ever had. He was charismatic, he was adventurous, he was a symbol of English pride. He went out to France, he conquered France, he had the the Battle of Agincourt under his belt, which was obviously such a famous victory for the English that we still talk about it 600 years later. Um, and really, he he was the the embodiment of everything a king should be. Now, the problem you have is when he died, he was succeeded by his son. And Henry VI was actually only eight months old when he inherited the English throne. So you're talking about a king who spent the first few years of his reign, well, the first, well, most of his reign, really, but essentially the first 18 years of his reign being told what to do by other people. So he never actually learned how to be king. Now, because he didn't learn exactly how to do it, he always relied on other people to tell him what to do. So he wasn't a very strong king. He was a very weak king, but he was part of the House of Lancaster. He was basically a very important royal and a very, in in that day and age, to come to the throne at such a young age... And to rule for as long as he did was quite an impressive feat. However, for him as king, he was next to useless. Um, He was the opposite, basically, of his father. He was very introvert. He was very quiet. Um, He didn't didn't have a backbone. He was always told what to do and how to do it by whoever was telling him what to do. You know, so as a king, he he was useless. And... This really fueled a lot of the problems in England at this time. So, with him being pretty much useless, he also suffered from... Well, we don't actually know what he suffered from, but he was known as the Mad King. So, if that, if you remember back to the Agincourt episode, um, we had the King of France was known as... He was mad. He was the Mad King of France. And that was because he believed he was made of glass. Now, Henry VI was a relative of the King of France. Charles VI of France was actually his granddad on his mother's side. So, he inherited the crazy from him, let's say. And uh, he he was known as the Mad King of England as much as Charles was known as the Mad King of France. So... He actually suffers a mental breakdown during the Wars of the Roses, and we shall cover that at a later date. But what's happening in France at this time? So as Henry's growing up, we'll go sort of flash forward a little bit, as as we know, we can work out from this that obviously he's 
he's not of sound mind and also he's not got a backbone he's one of these kings that will be told what to do and when to do it by whoever he feels is the most trustworthy person at the time so you keep that in mind when we talk about uh, when we talk about Henry the sixth and with the war in France coming to an end um the hundred years war sort of ending almost the French and the English tried to come up with a sort of like a peace treaty and very similar to those of you who watch Game of Thrones <clears throat> it's very similar to that where you marry off to basically to secure an alliance and Henry was actually married off to Margaret of Anjou which was a French princess and she was basically she was pretty much his right hand man and to a point when you're talking about the war of the roses she pretty much controlled a lot of the lancastrian side at the start of the wars and her main feud was between her and richard the duke of york it's obviously from the house of york and this is where this bitter feud pretty much escalated from those two now history portrays the war of the roses as basically a family feud and to an extent it was but there was much much more to it than what is shown on in your history books and what what you'll learn from you know from simple research if you delve into it a lot deeper there's a lot more to the wars of the roses than what is what you'll learn you know with basic information so we'll talk about you know the reasons behind the wars and how they started and like i said earlier henry the sixth was easily controlled and easily led and the man who was his right hand man the man who led him and spoke to him and basically had full control over him was the duke of suffolk and the the duke of suffolk um basically had control over henry for for 20 years until he was of you know adult age to actually have control over the throne but even after that even after henry was an adult and after henry was old enough to you know make decisions as king the duke of suffolk was still possibly the most important man in the court however in may 19 uh, 19 bloody hell in may 1450 the Duke of Suffolk is murdered or executed by a group of rebels, uh, sort of peasant rebels. And now Henry is left in a position where his right-hand man is gone and he doesn't know what to do. So with Suffolk dead, there's no one to control the streets. And London is breached by uh, armed rebels and they come into London, into the city of London, and they start murdering and pillaging and, you know, creating real problems for the king. The problem is, what England needs at this point is a strong, stable king who will take control of the situation. And unfortunately, that's not what they've got. So, instead of actually crushing the rebels like the king should do, he tries to bargain and you know come up with a deal with them and he actually hands over the treasurer uh, of of the state which is a man named lord say he hands them over hands him over to the rebels and he 
basically this man is you know he is corrupt he is not you know not the greatest man in the world but obviously he's just been handed over to these rebels as like a bargaining chip um and basically he's executed there and then the rebels have have a a bit of a, a fake court with him and a bit of a laugh and then they behead him and they also kill his son-in-law as well so it's you know he's not really dealt with the situation all he's done is throw somebody else under the bus as as a way of trying to quell something that he should just go in and, and absolutely destroy obviously this tactic doesn't work and Henry leaves London and flees to Kenilworth Castle and leaves the shit behind for the mayor of London to deal with so he doesn't even deal with the problem he tries to deal with the problem it doesn't work and then he just goes now nah, sod that I'm out and he and that's what he does he disappears so not only is he he's basically showing the people that he can't deal with rebellion he can't deal with anarchy and this just adds fuel to everything that caused the war of the roses obviously now obviously the lord mayor has to deal with it and he does you know he does deal with the rebels he pushes them back out of the city over london bridge and you know quells the rebellion but the king is not there so the man who should be dealing with it is not the man who does deal with it to make matters worse for henry there is one royal who stays behind in london and that is his wife that is margaret of anjou she stays in london whilst henry flees for his life so she actually is now the, the people are now seeing her as pretty much i would i would say you would look at her as the most important monarch or the most important person there because the king's abandoned you but yet she hasn't and with her being so influential and so important to the people this is something that really plays into her hands later in the story or later in in the years she shows humility as a queen as well so she offers a pardon a royal pardon to any of the rebels who basically give up and go home now a lot of the rebels take her up on this offer you know they take the royal pardon and they disappear obviously some of them are stupid and stick to their guns and no we're not we're not taking your pardon we'd rather die blah 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 so the ones who refuse to take the royal pardon the ones who stay in london and are dealt with by the queen they are gathered together and brought in front of the queen waiting for the king's return when the king returns he basically is there to sign their death warrant to make sure that they're all executed but he doesn't he has not got the stomach for it the backbone for it and it's queen margaret who initiates the the executions and she's the one who makes sure that you know these rebels are put down the problem is yet again this is not the king showing his kingly duty it's his wife having to take control so before this he's had the duke of suffolk do everything for him and now he's got his wife doing everything for him he can't even make a simple execution order he's just not he's not a good king at all and the country when it's in a state of anarchy it needs a strong leader and you know he's clearly not 
not up to the dot up to the job. So now we'll bring in the Duke of York, Richard Duke of York. He is Henry's cousin and he is a very very important man. He is working at the time over in Ireland keeping the peace in Ireland. And he's obviously knows what's going on back in London, back in England. And he realizes that, you know, something needs to be done. Somebody needs to come there and put their foot down and really stamp out what's going on. And the Duke of York is very, well, he's very arrogant. He's a very, very good military leader. And, you know, he plays into that. He is also, at the time, he is the heir to the throne of England because Henry hasn't got any children. So, you know, he has a real sense of his own importance. He really does love himself. This man is obviously, being the way he is, obviously going to really rub some backs up the wrong way. And this is exactly what he does to Margaret of Anjou. This woman has taken control of a situation, and all of a sudden in walks the Duke of York playing the hero. Now, this doesn't sit well with her, and the problem with the Duke of York is he's not really the most subtle man. So instead of arriving in London and, you know, trying to have a word with the king or sitting on court and, you know, do what a duke should do, he marches into London with 5,000 soldiers by his side. So, you know, he's really, you know, he's really in your face. He's really showing off his power to the court and showing off how he is the man to save the country he is look at my army look at how strong i am look at how important i am i'm the next king of england i am the man to you know that i'm the man who needs to save this country not this woman you know you've got to remember back in back in this time women were not were not seen as important England had never had a queen at this time. You know, it's not something that we'd ever... They didn't want to see a woman in charge. So this man took it upon himself to, you know, stamp his authority in London. This is all happening in 1450. So this is all five years prior to the Wars of the Roses. But what I'm doing is giving you the reason behind the story. So although... It might seem a little bit odd that we're giving you five years before what we're actually supposed to be talking about. It will make sense. It makes more sense doing it this way. So back to the Duke of York. So he marches into Westminster, into the palace, and he stands there in front of the court and he demands to be declared protector of the realm. So he is demanding to be in charge of the country. The king obviously can't do it. No one else is good enough to do it basically he's walked in and gone i'm the man for the job give me the job the problem is 16 15 16 days before that henry the sixth gave the job to another one of his cousins the duke of somerset so now york feeling a little bit pissed off and a bit hard done by not only does it rub his back up Somerset has just lost one of the key cities in France, which is the city of Rouen, Rouen, however you pronounce it. But anyway, he's just lost this city that England held. 
and he's also fled. So he's not just lost it, he's run away. And, you know, you're talking about the Duke of York being such a military leader, such a profound military leader who is doing such a good job over in Ireland. He's sort of saying, well, you know, you're going to you're going to let this man protect our country, the man who has just lost us, you know, thousands of men in in France and and run away. You're going to let him take control of the country. So, you know, it's almost like another another kick in the teeth for him. So, in court, York basically calls Somerset a traitor. He he sees Somerset as the cause of the problems in England. A lot of the violence and the rebels that are, you know, fighting in London at this time are ex-soldiers from Somerset's wars in France. Wars that they've lost. Now they've come back to England, they've got no money, no food, you know, and it's they're not being looked after. So York blames Somerset for basically everything that everything that's going wrong. So he doesn't just see him as the wrong man for the job. He sees him as someone who is going to actively work against the British, you know, the English. So by calling him a traitor in open court, he he's basically forcing the court to have to look at that. It's not a little claim. They, you know, that Parliament do have to have a look now at the claim of him being a traitor. And what makes it worse is Somerset is very, very close to Margaret of Anjou. So yet again, we can see where this power struggle between the Duke of York and the Lancaster family is coming. So York's now really, really angry and he storms out of court and he actually goes to Dartford, which is just south of London, and he starts to build an army, a bigger army, to come back to London with. Now, he does that, and when he comes back to London, he says to the king that he wants Somerset arrested and tried for treason. Now, the king, at this point, obviously, you know, I mean, I don't know how most people would deal with that but as a king he should be saying either yeah I agree and you know but he really he's appointed Somerset so he should be telling him to F off but he doesn't he agrees with York but what he says to York is if you disband your army you get rid of your men send them home then I will arrest Somerset and he will be tried for treason York is happy with that he sends his men home because as far as he's concerned he's won you know he is now reinstated as as heir to the well not reinstated but he is still heir to the throne and he is you know a lot more powerful now Somerset has has been arrested and you know obviously nothing's concluded because there's been no trial but for the time being he's won and he doesn't need his army at the moment he will need them later the next time the Duke of York sees the king, he's expecting to be given the title of protector of the realm. However, when he walks into the king, he sees the Duke of Somerset sat there at his side. Now, clearly the king has gone back on his word to York and, you know, is left in a situation where he has to 
basically swear allegiance to the king. You know, he's dragged back through the city of London and taken to St. Paul's Cathedral and, and told to swear an oath for, before the king. So the Duke of York is now, you know, he's he's basically, he's been he's been overlooked and he's been publicly embarrassed by what's happened. So if he wasn't angry before, he's very, very angry now. Things start to look a little bit better for Henry when he finds out that his wife is pregnant. So he's going to have an heir. Now, she does actually have a son. So the line is now, he now has an heir to the throne. The problem with, with Henry is, you know, like I said, the Hundred Years' War, England have been at war with France at this time for over a hundred years now. And under Henry's reign, they've managed to lose pretty much everything that his father did. So they've lost Champagne, they've lost Normandy, and they've lost Brittany. And the only part of France that's still under British rule is a part called Gascony in the south of France and the port of Calais. The, the English still hold Calais. So, you know, he's really, really losing a lot. And bearing in mind, you know, for over a 100 years... English blood has been spilt in France. So for Henry to lose all of that, you know, people's fathers, brothers, sons, grandfathers have all died in France. And now all of a sudden it pretty much seems for nothing because the French have taken it back. This massive Plantagenet empire that has been created is pretty much gone now and it's all happened under henry the sixth something you probably do know progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto they offer you round-the-clock protection something you probably don't know the average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds something you probably do know your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse something you probably don't know a falling treehouse would take out your whole fence bundle your home and auto with progressive and get more than a great price get round-the-clock protection Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. And in July 1453, Henry receives that all this land has been lost in France. And he suffers a serious mental breakdown. And he is basically incapacitated. He's bed-bound for the foreseeable future. So, you know... He had sort of a three-year period where there was a little bit of stability and not really much to talk about in those three years. But in 1453, this is where, you know, the seeds are really starting to grow and flourish into this war that is about to become the War of the Roses. Because with the king being incapacitated and not in his sound mind... It gives people the advantage to the the opportunity, sorry, to take advantage of this weak situation that Henry's found himself in. So Margaret takes the advantage or the opportunity to take advantage, should I say, of the Duke of Somerset. And she appoints him the godfather to her her son. Obviously her son's been born now. So now she's made a public basically a very public announcement that somerset 
is her man. She, you know, he is the man that she will go to should anything happen. And also, it gives it gives the the English this re- sort of realization that although the Queen officially can't do anything with Somerset being protector of the realm being the most important man after the king and publicly now being aligned with the queen as the godfather to the new the heir to the throne she is basically going to rule through him so it does create this you know this opportunity for her and Somerset to to really take control of the rebellions and the problems that are going on in England and actually put a bit of stability back into the country even though Henry you know is still alive he's just not in a capacity to to do that himself in England at this time the only way the baby can be officially the heir to the throne is if it is agreed on by the council by parliament and Somerset calls a meeting for the Parliament to decide that the baby should then become the next King of England. The problem is, this means making sure that the Duke of York is not going to be the next King of England. So they do have to denounce the Duke of York when they do this. Unsurprisingly, the Duke of York is not invited to this meeting. And when he does arrive, he yet again in front of everybody calls Somerset a traitor the problem is now Somerset doesn't have a king to hide behind he is actually arrested and taken away and now York has got the upper hand because he knows that without the king Somerset is really powerless even though you know especially when that that line is thrown out you know if you are denounced as a traitor there's really only the king can pardon you from that if you were called a traitor you are arrested and it goes to trial the only person that can say no is either a judge or the king so there's no one for him to hide behind he has to be arrested and this is where you know york takes it takes advantage of the situation himself and it works you know york really does take advantage and on the 27th of march 1454 he is appointed protector of the realm because somerset's locked away in the tower of london for being a traitor the king is incapacitated and nobody's going to let a woman rule so the only option is richard duke of york so he finally gets what he wants he's finally in that position of power that he's always craved and this is where things would you would seem would start to take a little bit of stability in England this stability doesn't last very long and on Christmas day the same year 1454 Henry regains his capacity to rule and this kind of blows up in York's face as Somerset is immediately released from the Tower of London. York is stripped of everything. He's not the protector of the realm anymore. Somerset is back in pole position. And basically, York is booted out out of the country. Well, not out of the country. He's booted out of London. And 
he's you know he's got to go back up north back up to York and sulk pretty much because everything that he has done has now blown up in his face this leaves him with two options he can either go and travel up north and pray that Somerset and the Queen don't build an army and don't come try don't try and come and find him and take him and murder him or he can go up north build his own army and strike first and this is where the war of the roses actually really kicks in as i'm sure you've all guessed the duke of york raises himself his army and he marches south now Margaret knows what's going on and she orders Somerset to raise an army and to march north to meet him. And on May the 22nd, 1455, the two armies meet each other in St. Albans. Now, for those of you that don't know, St. Albans is a small town, well, city, just outside of North North London. Uh, for those of you that don't, I, I originally am from Watford, which is about two miles from St. Albans, so... I know St Albans very very well and that's where that's where the first real battle of the War of the Roses took place. So York has an army of around 3000 men and one simple goal. The goal is to capture or kill Somerset and take control of the king. Once he does that, he can reinstate himself as protector of the realm because the king is that weak that He's not going to say no to him if he's captured. That's his goal. That's the plan. And Somerset only has around 2,000 men. So he is outnumbered in this fight. He also, Somerset, travels with the king. The reason he travels with the king is because you can... At this point, both both men believe that what they are fighting for is the good of England. York believes that Somerset is a traitor... And he is not the right man to rule England alongside the king. So he believes that if he takes out Somerset, it's for the good of the country. Somerset brings the king with him because officially anybody who's got the king on their side at a battle is fighting for the king and fighting for the country. So at this point, to an onlooker, it will look like Somerset is the man fighting for England and York is the man fighting for himself however I believe both men thought what they were doing was the right thing for England so to the battle itself basically York and his ally Warwick the Duke of Warwick um, they want the king to give up Somerset if the king gives up Somerset the battle doesn't have to happen and everybody's happy you know Somerset well, obviously apart from Somerset the king is not going to do that Somerset is his you know his trusted man it's his right hand man he's not going to give him up so you know York's really left with no option here um, you know Somerset and the king they've barricaded themselves in the town of St Albans and they're waiting for York to make his decision and Warwick makes the first move Warwick enters the town and they basically cut down any of the king's men that are in the way so it's they make pretty quick work of what needs to be done and you know they fight their way into the town through the barricades 
and kill any anyone who's in in their way or anyone who's trying to stop them once they've breached the town and they're in there and they're they're killing and you know basically winning the battle york's men capture the king and they secure him in saint alban's abbey so now the king is under york's control he is he's their prisoner the only man left in york's way is somerset so they go about the town they're looking for somerset and they capture him and medieval law pretty much dictates that a highborn noble highborn you know royal member of the member of the royal family like somerset is to be taken as prisoner not to be killed on the battlefield if they're killed you know in a fight then that's different but if they're actually captured you know they're supposed to be taken as as a captor they're not supposed to be killed problem is that doesn't work for york because if this man comes back then you know he loses all his power so he kills him there on the battlefield and you know now he's he's really committed quite a treasonous borderline treasonous act you know he's killed a high-born duke which you know if it wasn't for the fact that the king was such a you know a useless king york would be done for treason for this it's it's very very obvious what he's what his plan is but the king the king can't see it and the king like i said is such a shit king he's got no backbone and he's he just he allows it to happen you know to make it even worse somerset's not the only one the only highborn that's that's killed he he also kills uh, lord clifford and uh, lord northumberland at the same battle so you know he really he really has you know sort of created this real mess that you he can't get out of now he's he has to the only saving grace that he's got is he has the king in his possession and like i said the king is very weak-minded and this sort of helps york out a little bit so now york you know he's captured the king but he he's he confesses his loyalty to the king so him and his his allies uh, warwick and lord salisbury uh, they meet the king at saint alban's abbey and they confess their loyalty to him they you know they say that they, they were only doing what needed to be done for england and they basically said the only thing that they want is to be made the king's advisors and you know be put into the position of power in the royal court and obviously the king agrees to this and he allows this to happen but obviously he hasn't really got a choice you know his army's been defeated he's not got a backbone anyway and you know he doesn't he doesn't really have a choice he has to say yeah okay you know well that's fine we'll do that so you know he sort of york has now really got what he wants the problem is the three nobles that he's killed are members of the lancaster family so this is where now it's not just turned from a a little feud it's turned into a blood feud there is that real family rivalry that culminates into what we now know as the war of the roses so york has now got exactly what he wanted he's been reinstated as protector of the realm he now has the job 
of protecting the country, the job that he's wanted, the job that he had and then lost. And now, finally, he is the man. He is the man of the hour. The problem is, he has managed to get rid of three very high-powered nobles. And a lot of the nobles in Parliament don't like York. They fear him, they don't like him, they they have this almost this ability to just you know every, anything he comes up with anything he tries to do they're just going to kick it out they're not interested in him whatever his ideas are that he's going to be outvoted on every turn so the problem england is facing in 1455 is essentially it is broke we've had nearly a, just over 100 years of war in france and there's no money you know where they've spent all the money so what york decides to do is ask everybody in parliament to give up a little bit of land to the king so the king can rake in a little bit more money to put back into the into the purse into the country and they all say no basically everyone says no no we're not doing that for you we're not interested so effectively york now has no power although he's been given the position without anything being voted through parliament his power is useless so he knows this now he knows that you know he's spent all this time and effort and you know caused this bloodshed to get to the position that he's in and now he's really there and he's got no power whatsoever so he resigns the post he says no you know i'm not doing this anymore and he gives it up and he rides north back to york so effectively England is now left without anybody in charge because Henry is useless and the one person who steps up to the job is his wife, is Margaret of Anjou. Now she hates York, she hates him for from the start and she hates him even more now after the Battle of St Albans. So what she does is she recruits an army and she recruits an army in the name of the king to march north and to defeat Richard Duke of York as you know as they they basically class him as a traitor so she marches north and she actually meets him at Ludlow Castle now Ludlow Castle is York's castle it's his stronghold and she is effectively in a siege situation where he is inside the castle and she is outside. Now, this actually happens in October 1459. So we have had a few years here of of peace and stability. So it's just to, you know, York wasn't necessarily useless in his position after the Battle of St Albans. England went through sort of a four-year, four-and-a-half-year stint where it was doing okay. You know, there was no real battles. There was no uprisings. There was no... There was no problem, really, until they realised they were broke and until York made that demand to Parliament. And this is where Margaret has now taken her opportunity to fight back. So at Ludlow, Margaret outnumbers York two to one. She's got more men and for legitimacy, she's got the king with her. So you find now a situation where if York takes on the queen directly because again the king is there she's risking committing treason for a second time now 
a lot of his troops are obviously in this castle he's been asked to surrender he's been asked to lay down his arms now what we know from this type of this era in history if he lays down his arms his soldiers will be spared but he will probably not he will either be locked in the tower he will either be executed or he will be banished from england so either way york's not going to have a good outcome should he lay down his arms so he refuses he refuses to lay down his arms and he he stays inside his castle now overnight a lot of his troops leave the castle and they defect back to henry because they're risking treason is just a little bit too much the punishment for anyone who's not a noble is death so when york wakes up he realizes he's not got a chance in this fight so he legs it he runs and he flees and whilst he's fleeing margaret returns to london and she passes a decree through parliament that strips york and his allies of all their lands and their titles essentially she kills the house of york there she she gets rid of it the problem is is whilst richard duke of york is still alive people will still flock to his banner people will still fight for him because they still believe in him as a person regardless of whether he's got the lands because let's be honest if he has no lands but yet wins the battle and becomes king he gets his lands back so a lot of these people will fight for him because they believe in him essentially margaret hasn't done the job until york is dead so york has now left the country he's he's gone later in the year in 1459 lord warwick actually attacks the queen and the king at northampton now he takes the king prisoner for the second time let's remember and the queen escapes so she escapes but warwick who is basically york's biggest ally he carries on the fight and again now this just shows how useless this king really is because the second time now he's been captured and now the pendulum has swung back into the favor of york so now with the king locked up the queen on the run york feels it's safe to return to london safe to return to england so he marches an army or his army into london now normally york will march under his banner under the banner of york this time he marches under the banner for england now the problem with this is there's only one man in the country who can march with that banner and that is the king of england so essentially what york is turning around and saying is that he should be king so york marches into parliament again and this actually shocks even his allies like warwick they they don't really support his plan but he marches in and he turns around and says that henry the sixth his grandfather usurped the throne so he stole the throne and if that hadn't have happened then york would be the king or would have at least as much right to being the king as henry because they are cousins so he walks in and he basically says you will make me king you will take the crown off henry and you will make me king now parliament's caught in a bit of 
but sort of between a rock and a hard place here. If they say no, and they stick with Henry, York has an army just outside that are probably going to kill them all, and he'll take the throne by force. If they say yes, they're risking an uprising by deposing the king, and they're risking a civil war in the UK, or in England, sorry. So they're in a bit of a, a bit of a sticky situation and it actually takes them two weeks to come up with a decision but what they do is they basically they give York the next best thing they make him heir to the throne so they basically take the throne away from Henry's child and they give it to York so now Henry can live out his reign as king and when he dies the throne goes to York now obviously the one person that this is going to piss off more than anybody is Queen Margaret so Margaret now who lives in Scotland is writing to her supporters to build an army and York knows this at the end of the day the one person who is a big threat to his claim to the throne is Edward the king's son the king is his captor the king is is useless and the support for Margaret really really grows and in December 1460 York rides to Sandalwood Castle where he meets Queen Margaret the problem is he set off so quick after the Queen he's underestimated the amount of support that she's going to have and when he looks out over the battlefield again he realises he's outnumbered two to one for the second time this time there is no escape for him so although he's outnumbered really this is where he should not necessarily back down because he is in the the stronghold of the castle but he should at least wait for his reinforcements to arrive so he can actually have stand a chance of winning the battle the problem is he's such a hothead and he's such a brute that he's not going to just sit there and wait while his enemy is there so he rides out to meet the queen and he's killed or he's captured first when he's captured they the captors mock him you know they they capture him they take his sword off him and they place a paper crown on his head so they may you know pretend that he's the king put a paper crown on his head they cut his head off and his his head is actually placed on a spike at micklegate in york for everyone in york to see and when they do this they keep the paper crown on his head so you would think now with york dead essentially that would be the end of the war of the roses but it's not this feud will carry on for the next 25 years we're only five years in and we've already covered nearly an hour's worth of of stories the reason this doesn't end here is because York 1 has a family and he has a son and 2 there he has a lot of support there are a lot of people who do believe that York would have been a better king and do support that York the York family and do support them completely not only that what we'll cover in the next episode is the fact that York is a man from England the queen is a woman from france york used most of his troops are english 
majority, 90-99% of his troops were English. The Queen, on the other hand, used mercenaries from France. She used troops from Wales and troops from Scotland. So her troops, you know, really, the English weren't going to back a foreign queen using foreign troops in their land. And this is, you know, when we go on to the next the next part of the War of the Roses, you'll understand why this is such a such a really difficult period in English history. So this covers, you know, the first the first few years and we'll go on to the next episode next week. Now I said at the start of this episode we were going to cover part one and part two, and part two going on to Patreon. You, it's going to probably be in about four parts. I didn't realize how how much information there was and how how long it was going to take. So you'll probably find that the first two parts will go on to onto your normal server. So you shall get this episode and you shall get the next episode. They will both be on your normal servers. But the following two episodes, which will cover uh, Richard III, the Hunchback King, he wasn't actually Hunchback, and it will cover Henry Tudor. So those two episodes will be going on to Patreon. So for those of you that aren't on Patreon and you do want to listen to those two episodes, you will need to get on to Patreon. Uh, just go on to patreon.com, type in This Week in History, and you'll get me on there. But for now... We've covered Henry VI, and we've covered a little bit of the War of the Roses. So thank you all for listening, and just remember everyone, we all have history, make yours great.